The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness. You guys are in for a treat. Joining me today is a very special guest. I have Cindy Eckhart with me. She has quite the story. I can't wait for her to share it with you, but she's a highly regarded entrepreneur, a, a strong advocate for female entrepreneurship, a pharmaceutical leader, and one of the few women to have ever sold a company for a billion dollars. So she is amazing, a powerhouse. And you guys know on every episode, I'm trying to bring you back to your superpowered self. I'm hoping this one will be inspirational and aspirational as you hear Cindy's story. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you, Dr. Taz. I'm so excited to be with you again. I'm such a huge fan. Ah, well, likewise, the admiration goes both ways for sure. So you, I know your story because you shared it with me before when we collaborated on another project, but you know, for everybody who doesn't know you or doesn't know about your success, do you mind sharing a little bit about your journey? And I really want, you know, all of you guys out there listening, I want you to take away, you know, the resilience, the determination, the persistence. Sometimes we see things and we're like, wow, they're so lucky, but you don't understand sort of what's happened underneath. So tell folks a little bit about you. Oh my gosh. I'm just, I'm debating how far back I should go. I'll tell you why I became an entrepreneur. How about that? I had had a very traditional corporate career. I was employee number 4,235. And you know what? That wasn't going to work for me because I needed to be heard. I wanted to contribute and make an impact. And that was really what led me on the path toward you know, paving my own path, if you will, and uh, owning the value that I create. So I got the guts up um, after several years in corporate to finally start something for myself. And I built uh, from scratch one of the male sexual health companies. So, um, you know, I was definitely the lone woman in pink in a man's world in so many ways, not only with the product that I had, but, you know, in my industry and among female CEOs, et cetera. And, um, and when I looked around, I built a successful business. It was wonderful learnings of, you know, entrepreneurship 101. I thought, wait a minute, there are 26, 26 FDA approved drugs for some form of male sexual dysfunction and not a single one for women. Wow. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Finest, that's what I call it. You're lame. You talk to women all the time about, you know, these issues that affect us that, we are ashamed to talk about for which there is societal stigma. And the science was there that there really are ways in which we can address this. So I scrapped my successful business in men, went back to zero, said, I'm on a mission to make this right for women. And um, and I ultimately crossed the finish line with the first ever drug uh, for women's most common sexual dysfunction, which is you know, lack of desire. We once had it, something's changed. We never think about sex anymore. We lay in bed, we do our to-do list. And, you know, what we realize is that's actually a neurochemical issue. There is an opportunity to address it. But I got to tell you, for everybody, I loved your tea up. People think it, it comes easy. Oh my God. Talk about going through the FDA for the first ever drug for women's pleasure. I like to call that the road less traveled. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine how that went. Oh my gosh. Draw the parallel even to um, Viagra for men and really honestly like a watershed moment in men's health. Um, Dial it back now more than 20 years. It was rushed to the market. 
it was perceived to meet such an important, such an important unmet medical need that they fast-tracked it in six months. By contrast, it took me six years. Wow. Three times as many patients worth of data in women. But ultimately, science won. Science won because women spoke up and that's what happens. We had to, we listened to women who were actually affected by this and uh, that resulted in selling the business for a billion dollars. Which is incredible. Six months versus six years. Is that just because men were the decision makers or what is, what's happening there? No, I think there, for sure, there are many male, uh, male um, decision makers, positions of power there, but I don't think that was the universal truth. I think it's a societal truth that mm -hmm. we think that if something goes wrong for men, biology, we're going to address it. Something goes for, wrong for women, we go, oh, psychology, oh. Take, take a vacation, have a bubble bath. And look, it's not that we don't need self-care. Of course, you're a wonderful champion of that. And that is absolutely true. But to ignore biology for women is not okay. Yeah. And that's really what I was looking at. And I think we are almost unconscious of that bias of how we have been taught. And, you know, I like to draw the parallel that think about this for a second. For the last two decades, you haven't turned on the radio, turned on your TV and not been fed a message that sexual satisfaction is important if you're a man. If you're a man, if you're a man, and actually the lack of ever having heard that for 20 years makes an impression, whether or not you are conscious of it, we do not value, if you will, satisfaction for women. And as we don't talk about it, we're ashamed of it. And I think that is a big piece of what was at play. And what was so obvious to me and would be obvious to you is put the women at the center of the conversation. The women who are dealing with this issue are the people we should be listening to. And once that happened, we actually minded the science, if you will. Science gave us the answer a long time ago. We just weren't listening. Oh my gosh, here, here. Well, where is uh, the drug I know is Addie, correct? Where is Addie today? Are more and more women using it? And what is that neurobiological piece that so many women are missing. And I, and I like your point, not to wander off too much, but I like your point that women are, we're sort of culturally conditioned to normalize that if we're not feeling desire or having, or we're not satisfied either one, it's okay. It's because we're women. It's not, it's really not our issue. It's the issue for men. And so many people walk around in these relationships and in these situations, like where, you know, there's no intimacy and there's no connection and, and they think they're depressed or they think they're anxious. So I think it's such an important issue to call light to. Women talk to me about it all the time, but are people using Addy? Are they using your drug? Where is it? And people are probably like, hey, where do I find it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, spell it I'll spell it for everyone first. It's A-D-D-Y-I. Um, so always an interesting spelling and drug names. And you can go to Addy.com and find out all of our information, risks, benefits, um, all of the trials. Yes, women are using it, you know, um, by in droves today. And I'm so delighted every day I get wonderful emails from women, um, you know, who have responded, not all women will, no drug is, uh, you know, a panacea, but right. it's just been so touching to your very point on, you know, this 
emptiness I think many of them felt in their relationship. Um, you know, maybe they once had a good sex life um, that has dissipated over time. And, you know, when things break down in the bedroom, they typically break down across the breakfast table too. that connection, that intimacy. And, you know, why live that life? Why settle for that life? I think sex is such an important part of the human experience for, for most all of us. Yes. And so to be dismissive about it um, was really what ignited me is that we feel like we can be dismissive about it. And I think to your point, as women were fed that so often, we sort of accept that to be true. You know, pleasure is not ours to receive, it's ours to deliver. And think about every movie you've seen, every, um, you know, any bit of that is really that dynamic of, you know, the male sort of pleasure model and women are just, you know, well, we, we just have to kind of go along. Um, I'll tell you a little funny story about the company. So an entrepreneurship, uh, to your point on, there's no such thing as, you know, the overnight success story. Uh, there's no such thing. And, um, and basically there's not, even in my case, there wasn't a billion dollar happy ending, um, forgive the pun, but it really is you know, when I sold this business, um, we got across the finish line, we got FDA approval, and now a big company was going to come in and they were going to march it all across the world and make it affordable to women. And, you know, it was really like my dream come true. Right. And then they bought it and they shelved it. Mm. They never launched it. And I was sitting there with a scorecard that was finally 26 one. Mm -hmm. And I thought we did not fight this hard for women to d have access. Should they want to take this? Um, so I fought that company and, um, and I got it back. I kept the billion dollars. I invested <laughs> in other female disruptors, but now I run it today and, you know, we've turned it on and you can get it obviously through your physician, you can get it through telemedicine um, online. It doesn't require a physical exam. It can ship to your door. And it's just, thrilling for me to, you know, have it at least be in the market for all the women who want to try it. I love it. I've actually been prescribing it because again, the story of no libido and lights just going out is a common one for so many women. And there are a million stories here of women who think that's okay. They always think something's wrong with them. You know, they always deal with biology and chemistry and hormones and nutrients and all these other things that play into libido along with connection with your partner. But I find the two stories so intermingled, you know, and um, I don't know if it's just the writer in me, but there's a story of resilience with trying to get this product out there, building this business in a very male dominant world, you know, very female strong issue on an issue that gets gaslit it too. So, so in your experience as an entrepreneur trying to make this happen, what were some of the challenges that you experienced that you would advise maybe another woman you know, coming along to, hey, like, don't get discouraged by this, this happens, you know, don't turn around and run. Because I think as women, and I've been through this, I don't know if you've been through it, something is wrong with me. It's that, con I don't know where we get that from, but whether it's in business, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in our parenting, like yeah. something is wrong with me, I've done something wrong. And therefore I'm going to pull back, I'm going to withdraw, I'm going to harden my heart, I'm not going to go for it. You know, what did you, did you experience any of those moments? And if you did, how did you change it oh, to ahead and to move forward? I, I love that you said that because I think that that phenomenon really for me, I saw not only in women suffering from this, 
but also in the business dynamic, my entire career. And I think we feel very alone. Yes. Like just me. It's only me because we don't have these we don't have these conversations. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, just as you do, you shine a spotlight on women's stories. It's so important for us to share because you realize, no, no, she went through the exact same thing. And if we just talk about it, we'd be sharing tips on it for me um, in the, you know, in the business world and particularly, can you imagine me and hot pink trying to go out and, and raise money for it. Viagra? <laughs> I literally laughed out of the room, laughed. Yep. I, I mean, I had a major moment at a big healthcare conference and I'm trying to raise money and I opened up, I got eight minutes to deliver a presentation. Mm -hmm. It was packed. Um, I started like my little countdown clock started going and the whole room started to giggle. Just giggle front mm -hmm. of the room to the back of the room. It was like a sea of it. And I, in that moment, I actually, um, looked at the clock, looked at the chairman of my board, <laughs> looked at the clock again, and I advanced my slides as fast as I could. And I pointed to brain scan imaging that shows a fundamental difference for women with this condition versus women without. And I paused and I pointed to it and I just went silent. And the whole room got uncomfortable too. I was paying them back. And uh, as soon as they got uncomfortable, I said, are you looking at what I'm looking at? Because I'm just here to talk about the biology of sex and women. And they went quiet. And I think in those moments, you just have to know that you are completely capable. You know your stuff. And it's really kind of killing them with competence. Mm. But the, the recommendations, I think, for you know, other women out there, entrepreneurs, it's two things. I think if you start to just anticipate underestimation. Right not think the worst of people, but just know that a circumstance like that will happen. Something changes in you. And I think you shift underestimation to unapologetic. Mm, it kind of becomes a game in that you go, okay, everyone laughing, watch this. And I think you have to have that um, knowing that those situations may, may exist, may happen. And what you do, I think, in taking that power yourself is you actually also forgive the audience and give them an opportunity to change their mind. And I think about a man who was, you know, sort of the, the God, you know, of uh, investment banking in, um, in my sector. And to have gotten a check from him would have been like the stamp of approval very early on for me. He's one of the people that laughed me out of the room. Like laughed me out of the room. You'll never do it. No chance. Bye. You know, woman in pink. Mm -hmm. And um, and I fast forward to uh, 2019, just two years ago. We are sitting in my office. He is sitting in a hot pink chair. He is still dressed in his you know gray suit, very buttoned down. He says to me, "Hey, Cindy, check this out." And he reaches down and he lifts up his pant leg and he's wearing hot pink socks. Oh my gosh. But in that moment, it was a bit of like a, you know, like a tip of the hat. And he was there to invest alongside of me. Wow. And I have a lot of, you know, peers and, and friends who would say, why'd you ever, why would you ever talk to him again? Why would you? And I said, because I changed my mind. I changed his mind. And now he is opening up his wallet and that's how you create lasting change. Oh my gosh. So that's my big piece of advice for everybody is, you know, just 
it's not expect the worst, but just be prepared in the moment and then give like opportunity for people to recognize how closed-minded they've been. I think, you know, a lot of my story, I haven't sold a company for a billion dollars. However, a lot of my story is very, very similar, you know, because when I started my holistic practice at the back of my husband's dental office, you know, I had really low expectations. I, I'm like, and I had people asking, like, they're going to call you a quack. Why are you doing this? Like, why would you stake your credentials and your education all for this thing that you believe in? And I'm like, well, I feel like it's just something I want to do. And, and my husband was a huge believer in me and continues to be. So I had that positive support. But when it came time to getting a loan, a business loan, I remember was the breadwinner. He was still finishing dental school. I was an emergency room doctor. I was supporting us. I was paying our bills. I owned the home, all this stuff. When it came time to getting a business loan, they laughed at us and they're like, well, what are you going to do? Swing chickens above your head and like, you know, say curses. And I, I was so upset. I remember I left the room and he was trying to like, you know, just calm everything down. He's like, that's okay. I'll co-sign. Like he was going to co-sign. He didn't have an income, you know, <laughs> I was like, this is BS. And so fast forward, you know, that, you know, all of that is behind us and, you know, we're such a strong uh, business and a practice and all that other stuff. And now much like you, the investors are, are circling, right? right? And it's like, I'm like, huh, well, I was the chicken lady. What are you interested in now? You know, so. A little bit of pain for sure. You gotta be like, hmm, remember that time? I like yeah. to do that. I like to call the guys that passed and say like, hey, guess how much money you would have made if you'd invested? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's turnabout is fair play, but I think it's again, believe in yourself, believe in your vision, have the right people around you, you know, continue to continue to go for it. And I know today you work with a lot of young entrepreneurs with a lot of young women too, correct? I think from what I understand about you have a foundation. Tell us a little bit about what's happening. So I have a pinkubator because, you know. <laughs> I love there has to be an incubator in which it's just not bros and hoodies drinking craft beer. So we have rosé on tap. But, uh, you know, my, my spirit of doing that is after having, you know, walked that whole journey, I knew that my best work would be to reach my hand back and pull other women there faster than I got there myself. Mm -hmm. And so I look for real disruptors. They're taking big swings um, with, you know, often first in categories and I think often catalyst and social conversations. So uh, for example, I invest my own money, proceeds of my sale, money where my mouth is, and I get them exposure to a lot of other investors and, uh, and help them walk through the process. So we have, uh, for example, a flushable pregnancy test mm -hmm. market. Uh -huh. Only a woman would have thought of that. It's called sure. Lucia. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, why should 80% of your pregnancy test be plastic when it doesn't have to be? So not only the environmental impact, but I think the discretion conversation, mm -hmm. because honestly, 50% of women who are testing don't want the answer to be right. that they're pregnant. Yeah. And, and they, and we test at work today. And like, again, I want those, it's, it's an opportunity to sit on the side of the table and invest in those things that I want to see in this world. Ah. And that's what, that's what is, is, you know, such a luxury to be able to do that. Um, so I work really closely with them and give them access to my team who've helped me build uh, successful businesses and we help get them to the finish line. I love that. You know, this pandemic has been interesting, right? If you look at the statistics of the pandemic, it really has hit women the hardest. So many of them giving up their dreams and their hopes to 
homeschool, be at home with children, you know, navigate the family situation a little bit better. You know, what, what do you see for women in the years ahead? Are we going to crawl out of this? How are we going to help women, you know, reclaim their identity? I don't know what you believe, but I'm a firm believer that everyone needs an identity. She needs something of her own. I think that my husband was actually, he and I were having this conversation. He was like, anytime you want to come home and stay home, you are welcome. You know, like there's no reason for you to work this hard. And I'm like, that's true. And I get that, but I go, you can't buy me my self-esteem, no matter how much you spend on me or pamper me or, or like, you know, fill my life up. You can't buy my self-esteem. You can't buy my resilience. You can't buy my determination. I have to create that on my own. And so for that reason, for women's health, I feel like every woman has to be out there claiming something for herself. It doesn't have to be a big business. It doesn't have to be something huge and complicated, but it should be something. You know, how are we going to get women out of this where they've almost had to take a step back to navigate what's transpired in the last year? You know, I think there's a, there's a certain DNA um, for women where if you push them back like that, something breaks and they're like, no, no, this is not, not going to happen. And I think we're going to see that moment. So what I would tell you is not only do I think women will bounce back, I think they will dominate. And I think they'll dominate because they are powered um, by this, you know, different um, empathy inside to problem solve, to serve others, to be helpful. And to your point, like have this purpose uh, in the world. And I think that what we're going to do as a result of this is we're going to take bigger risks. And that's the distinction, right? We often don't take the risk yeah. because it's so inherently perfectionistic that we like sit there because we haven't got it perfectly solved as opposed to just going for it. And I actually think, you know, the circumstance um, will 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 almost precipitate that in a way that's very positive for us. Ultimately, women will bet on themselves because the system hasn't served us. No, it we, hasn't. When we make less money to do the same job, when we don't have the same upward mobility in conventional careers, um, you know, when we have so many care issues that take us out of being competitive in the workforce, we're just gonna make our own damn lanes. I love it, I love it. Go women, go superwomen. You're one of my favorite superwomen for sure. You know, what are your lasting words of advice to anybody out there listening today, whether it's on libido, on their health, on entrepreneurship, you know, what would you tell the folks listening right now? Two things. If I had advice to my younger self, um, this is what it would be. Have more sex. (laughs) And I'm not joking. Um, You know, have that aspect where like never settle, never settle for not being fulfilled in those things that really are part of this life's experience. We get one life. So I would just say, be an advocate for yourself. And when you are an advocate for yourself, you will actually be advocating for other women. That's one. The second is for entrepreneurs. And this is my lesson along the way. Success never came from having all the answers. It came from having the courage. Oh, I love it. Uh, Those are words that I will live by as well. Cindy, if folks want to connect with you, if they want to know what you're up to, learn more about the Pinkubator and everything else, what's the best way for them to do that? I hope you'll follow me on social at Cindy Pink CEO. I answer my DMs and you can find me online to cindypinkceo.com and addy.com for anybody who is listening. Yes, the libido solution right there. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today. 
I love the work you're doing. I love the example that you've set. And for me, you are truly inspirational. So I think it's a complete honor. And for everyone else, thank you for watching this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Remember, you can rate and review it and share it with your friends. We are on Apple iTunes and on Spotify as well. I will see you guys next time.